Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Alan Bowers, who is an Alexander Technique teacher, singer, and singing teacher who lives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, New York City. Alan has taught singing at a number of universities, including um, California State University Northbridge. He has performed um, at, at various locations around the world. He's been an opera singer in Germany, and he. Um, we're going to talk today about how singers could benefit from the Alexander Technique. Alan, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Robert, and always delighted to talk about uh, about singing because um, I really am in in awe of singers and the marvelous things they're uh, capable of doing. And I see many ways in which uh, students of the Alexander Technique and teachers of the Alexander Technique can learn from singers and uh, vice versa. Well, I wonder if you could begin by just giving our listeners who may not be familiar with the technique just a very short definition of, of the technique. Well, I can, and everybody's always striving to better define the Alexander Technique, and that definition for me changes day to day. But for today, um, I'm thinking that so much of what we do, uh, what singers do, what teachers and students of the Alexander uh, Technique do, is to respond habitually to certain stimuli of the day. Um, much of what we do is reflexive, rote, um, and habitual. But the study of singing and of the Alexander Technique uh, empowers us to live more mindfully, to respond more mindfully to the stimulus of singing, to the stimulus of sitting down. And the study of the Alexander Technique uh, helps us to live uh, in an ideal uh, as embodied mind and minded body. Uh, embodied mind and, and minded body and singers uh, can teach us a great deal about that. Mm -hmm. and, and what are some of the specific uh, aspects of singing and particularly singing professionally or on stage or in front of an audience that, the, that in your experience the Alexander Technique can be helpful for? Well, it goes um, both ways. Um, the most important time that a, a singer has, the most important activity, occurs really before they start singing. Before the first tone is uttered, the whole psychophysical mechanism is, is in motion. The vocal folds prior to phonation, prior to sounding, have begun to vibrate. The whole system is tuned and toned. The vocal tract is readied, um, ready to, to produce the vowel that you're hearing. And this has been called by a, by a preeminent um, neurologist, Barry Wyke. He calls this activity prephonatory tuning. And he says it's really what voice teachers ought to be paying, to, paying attention to. And to me, that strikes a chord for the teacher of the Alexander Technique and the student of the uh, Alexander Technique because we're really addressing our thinking uh, 
about what happens before we move. And teachers of singing, singers themselves, have a great deal um, to teach about that. And what happens before a person sings, where the vocal folds uh, uh, come into vibration, really seems to me a, a little a little miracle. Um, and of course, we experience this in the Alexander technique. That that um, well, I'm I'm going here. There's there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so it's a singer's hearing that I'm uh, addressing uh, as a teacher uh, of singing. Mm -hmm. They're hearing, which in turn affects how they do this sort of pre-production. Exactly. The hearing hearing is the the Um, Mm pre-production. As they hear a pitch, the vocal folds vibrate at that pitch at their edges before the sound is made. The vocal tract selects the frequencies for the vowel they're hearing prior to the sound being made. All this happens just because um, they hear. And by and, hearing, uh, are you? Ahead, do you mean they're they're not actually they they're not hearing a sound that someone else could hear? They're hearing it in their head, so to speak. Is that what you're saying? Both things. Mm-hmm. If. Uh, I play a pitch on the piano, mm-hmm. or if I don't play the pitch and a, a singer hears the pitch, we'll say in his or her head, um, then the same thing happens. The vocal folds will start um, to vibrate. So then all a, a singer has to do, and this is still a big order, is to just join themselves, join the breath to this activity which pre-exists tone. So that that pre-production, as it were, um, um, sequence of events, um, I'm getting from what you're saying that unless you address that, then you're kind of missing the boat if you just go directly to what happens when the voice is actually produced. Right. Uh, pitch um, is a huge stimulus and um, I think it's amusing how we talk about notes uh, as singers uh, uh, the terminology is is a violent one uh, we attack a note we hit a note we nail a note we mm-hmm. we hold it it sounds like a, a terrorist activity whereas all the person has to do is to hear it and and it's already there and so the idea whole idea of attack hit hold nail is really um, well. It's it's myth. Mm-hmm. We don't ha- don't have to attack anything, right? And it, it's interesting that you should be placing so much emphasis on the uh, sort of pre-production process, because uh, of course uh, F. Matthias Alexander, who was the developer of the technique we're talking about, also. Uh, I mean, the technique evolved as a, a voice problem that he had. In his case, it was uh, he was a reciter in, in large halls with no PA systems. But one of the big discoveries that he made that, that, that was kind of a shock to him, 
this is maybe 120 years ago, was that the patterns that were getting in the way of effective speaking, in his case, all occurred before he actually uttered the first sound. It was really just the thought of reciting that brought those, um, uh, those patterns into play. And I think that's great, Robert. And I think the thought of making a sound is very, very different from, from hearing. Um, there is a dictionary difference between listening and hearing. To listen is to make a conscious attempt to hear, um, whereas to hear is really to grasp the whole thing, really to, to get it. So if I think about making a, a sound, that brings on a whole different set of – that brings me to my habit. Um, whose sound am I going to make? What type of sound am I going to make? Um, Rather, if you hear a pitch, that's inhibitory of, that, of habit. Um, it's inhibition. And if I hear a vowel, so um, uh, a vowel, e, 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 whatever, um, um, is different from hearing a sound. Um, Stanislav, um, Stanislavski said that, that vowels were, were, well, he said they were spiritual qualities, but there, there is a, a, a hundred different ah vowels. There is a, an ah of hatred, ah, or a, a vowel of, of, of many other emotions. But to hear a vowel in a musical context brings all this prefonditory tuning uh, into play. But if I hear a sound, the sound that I want to make, that brings us right into habit, at least in, in my opinion. Well, um, I guess the obvious question at this point is how how can the idea the how can an Alexander technique teacher help someone to improve this pre-performance um, I don't know state of being I suppose we could call it and and maybe uh, if you could give a specific example of someone you've worked with on on this part of uh, singing. Right. Well, um, I'm not sure. I'll think of someone specifically, mm-hmm. but uh, that's really my work with with everybody to get them to hear and then just hear hear a vowel, hear a pitch, and then I ask them just to vibrate on pitch. So I don't ask them to make a, a sound, but to hear ah and just and to keep that going, just to keep that vibrating. And everybody responds to that in a a beautiful way and sometimes phenomenally uh, different from what the sounds that they usually make. So the way the Alexander teacher can work with a singer is to um, no longer make them move from a chair, um, no longer make them make sound or encourage them to make sound, but, but to think, but merely to, to hear and to vibrate, to, to think in well. Um, um, Walter Carrington, I believe, said that we think in movement. And so if we can get a singer thinking in movement, we've done um, a trem- given them a tremendous blessing. 
Mm-hmm. And we should say here that Walter Carrington is a uh, was a very well-known uh, Alexander Technique teacher in London, someone who studied with Alexander and has taught a great many Alexander Technique teachers. I'm, I'm exactly. wondering... Um, uh, I, I certainly myself don't don't in any way specialize in in working with uh, singers, but I have worked with quite a few, and I wonder if the the approach that I w- often use with a singer, and I'm just curious how it meshes with with y- your ideas here, is uh, I'll ask them to just think about singing, imagine that they're singing, and um, get them to notice. Uh, what patterns come into play uh, d- uh, doing that or not doing that in this case. Does that uh, mesh at all with your ideas of the pre-production process and how the technique can work? Uh, yes and, and no. Um, I think to get them to imagine uh, singing, that's, that's um, valuable. But I think it can be still more specific if we really talk about about hearing you could even say uh hear yourself singing ah mm-hmm. or or e or or ooh and then then vibrate on that join yourself to that um idea so i think there there's value in in both ways mm-hmm. so i'm 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 thinking here in terms of of uh, i i'm assuming that most singers who go for alexander technique lessons are probably not going to find an, a teacher who's also a professional singer. They're going to find a teacher who can help them but may not be a musician themselves. Um, so that's something that, that any Alexander teacher could could use in working with a student, the process you just mentioned. Exactly. Now, does there come a point um, when perhaps having having sort of laid the groundwork with what you've been talking about, when you're going to actually work with the student actually singing the song as though they were on stage. Um, exactly. Um, there are... Uh, pitch is a huge stimulus for the singer. Duration... I'll get to your, your, your question. Duration is a big stimulus how long you hold it uh the um the the pitch of it as i said the the duration uh and also the intensity the loudness now when these are combined that is a huge stimulus now you put the singer in front of an audience with a, a long high loud high note and you really have the ultimate uh, stimulus mm-hmm. and under those conditions in a public performance singing a loud longly held high note there are very very few who will not overwork a bit so yes um, thinking of adding the audience is just an, an extra stimulus and um, as uh, Mr. Alexander said that we're looking for that stimulus that puts the student wrong so we can look at the habit and so, yeah, that would be the, the ultimate uh, to do all this in um, a public performance. Mm-hmm. And and, and um, not just looking for the habit, presumably, but uh, having discovered the habit, um, um, saying no to the habit, basically. Um, uh, exactly, exactly. Well, 
one thing, uh, Robert, that we've talked about uh, pre-phonatory tuning, what happens before the singer moves, uh, before the Alexander student moves. But uh, what uh, I'm interested in, too, is that moment, um, and I'm sure you as an Alexander teacher are in interested in this, the moment uh, of initiation. Um, what happens there? And um, I like to think of this activity as what happens when we set everything in motion as being like, as I call it, strumming the body. Um, strumming the body brings me to a, um, a lesson taught by a, a Buddhist monk called Kassan. His answer to everything, everything asked of him was to beat the drum. So I'm interested in that, uh, that activity of, of beating the drum, of strumming the body. When we beat the drum, there's no guiding, there's no projection, there's no placement. It, it is just to, to balance ourselves between up and down, to balance the, the, the abdomen between in and out, so that in and out are in competition. And then we just call upon that as though uh, we were, we're, as though we were laughing. I think, um, well, today um, on NPR, um, there's an article about the origin of speech being in song or in primitive expression. So I think the nearest thing to what one does when one sings is, is laugh. And so if you laugh the vowel, if you strum the body, uh, while you're hearing a vowel, something marvelous happens. And I think that's something that, that uh, uh, Alexander teachers can, can, can work with. So you're, you're sort of, um, at least for the time being, staying away from any ideas of projection or that sort of thing. Um, 100%. 100%. Now, um, would that be at all analogous or related to what you often hear from singers, which is they can sing beautifully in the shower when they're just singing to themselves for fun. But once they're on, you know, it's a recital or, you know, uh, a classroom situation, then it, it, uh, everything falls apart. Well, um, there's a lot there in that. Uh, I think because of the, uh, uh, acoustical benefit of a shower, we may think that we're singing a little bit better than we um, uh, actually are. Mm -hmm. But um, I have always been somebody who who couldn't dance, and in the privacy of my my own home, when I sort of let loose, I say, "Gosh, if I if I if I could only do this uh, out in the world." Well, I I think that um, there's within us you know, um, something magnificent in, in, in everybody. And the, we don't always get to, to show that. And I think everybody uh, is capable of, of singing at a, at a rather um, good level. Mm -hmm. So I think the shower uh, uh, analogy is part, part myth, but I also think there's a truth in that, that we... Um, uh, that everybody wants to sing, everybody can sing, and the I've read that the reason everybody likes to sing, that everybody loves singing, or most everybody does, 
loves to listen to it is because singing expresses a very, very high equilibrium. And we love singing maybe for the same reason that we love a, a really fantastic gymnast. The equilibrium is great. And so we want all to express that kind of equilibrium. And in singing, it's probably greater than in any other um, endeavor. At least that's according to neurologist Barry Wyke. Mm -hmm. I've gone on too long about that. Well, you know, and I'm wondering, and this might be a way, uh, a little bit of summing up what you've been talking about. If, 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 if uh, a singer typically has had singing lessons from a singing teacher, what, what is it that someone who is an Alexander Technique teacher can help the singer with, just in very general terms, that a singing teacher or singing coach might miss? Well, uh, I'm pausing here just a moment. Um, I think the Alexander teacher can get a student to these um, to take advantage of prefonatory tuning to enable the student to um, strum the body, to beat the drum by creating in the student opposition. Um, everything tempts us up when we sing. The, the pitch is up. We want to get into the music. We want to lean out to our listener. It's really quite, quite natural and habitual. But to get the, the student to stay back um, and not go out. Uh, and one great um, teacher said the direction of the thought can never be out. So I would argue with the whole idea of, of projection. In, a, in an acoustical way, tone cannot be projected. Tone is air, is excited air. Um, so to get a student to stay back, to oppose, to find a balance between in and out, between the inspiratory and the and the inspiratory, I'm sorry, inspiratory and expiratory, to get a, a sense of, of their, their feet uh, and their opposition of, of head forward and up. One um, great uh, English teacher, uh, Yvonne Rod Marling and uh, Hussler, their authors, said that if you want to place the tone someplace, place it right in the back of the neck. Now, Whistler and Marling both knew the Alexander technique. So I think that what they were telling the singer and the, and the teacher of the Alexander technique is allow the student to stay back. And I think that's something that the Alexander teacher can do really uh, better than a, a voice teacher. Um, and with that that instruction of staying back, as it were, that you would also say would be the way to go when you're actually on stage and performing. I'm I'm so glad you you mentioned that. Um, what the first thing I, I teach a, a student who is both Alexander and a singing pupil is to when you walk upon the stage. Don't go out to the audience. Don't reach out to them, but stay back and invite them in to you. 
mm-hmm. uh, it does a wonderful thing for both the audience. It frees them, and a wonderful thing for the for the singer. You you invite them in, you welcome them in. Your back stays back. Your back receives them, and then uh, a communication has already uh, begun, and that stays when you when you sing. Um, I, if I may say briefly, uh, Robert, I'm a, a dad, I'm a grandfather, and despite that, I've always been terrible with children. I was always into them, figuring out if I should talk to them or touch them or what. But now, uh, with children, I, I stay back. And children then come into you in such a beautiful way and now i fancy at least that i'm great with children uh our our neighbors are always uh, neighbor kids are always over and it's from that ability to stay back and so that is something that every uh, alexander teacher knows how to teach and to just to teach um uh, and show a singer how to do that just giving a hand on on the back as they sing mm-hmm. and keep them coming back into the hand into the, in their neck um uh a little miracle will happen i'm mm-hmm. certain of it mm-hmm. and 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 i'm sure you've had this experience as well that a lot of times when you're working with a singer and they suddenly come out with a, a very full wonderful sound that possibly is is even new for them at times they might not feel as though what they've done is uh, almost legitimate it almost feels like they're not putting the kind of effort they're used to, to in producing it and so they discount it which is uh, one reason why it can be very helpful to have uh, an audience who who can at least one person other than the student in the room who's a good judge of sound right. be, because the singer him or herself may may feel as though oh this is not really singing and yet mm-hmm. it, it certainly is singing well i would um, go one further uh robert and say that um that is almost always the case that if a student produces a freer sound in an Alexander lesson or in a voice lesson, um, they experience the sound in a very different way. First of all, when I, when one sings, sound goes out from the mouth in the shape of a of a cone, like a big ice cream cone whose tip is held at the mouth. The sound goes out. So what you hear as a singer is is reflected. Um, you hear little from the primary source. So if I stiffen my system, if my, my uh, vocal tract is rigid, if the, my extrinsic muscles are held and I sing, well, uh, I've made a, pre- a much better communicator of, of sound to my ear. Um, I believe that's called um, direct resonance uh, i i don't know if i have my term right and there's a term bone conduction also right which might be and related to that yeah exactly so if i've stiffened the system i sound much better to myself or even right now mm-hmm. but i've done that at tremendous uh cost um i've kept the sound inside so that's always the case Hmm. 
Um, Alan, is is there anything else that you would like to touch upon that we haven't covered t- today? Um, I don't think so, um, Robert. I didn't really explain well um, what I meant by um, beating uh, the drum by by strumming the body, but it really comes from opposition. When we when we inspire, when we breathe. We take in air. The Alexander technique teaches that we that we give out the air so that air can then drop in. If I if I'm incorrect in stating that, mm-hmm. but in singing, we have to conserve air. Uh, we have to uh, oppose without tension. Uh, I hear my phone ringing in the background. I think I'll just let that go. We have to oppose without tension the gesture of expiration. So that is the whole of it. Um, there is there are one great um, Italian teacher had but two laws, and one of them was chi non appoggia, non canta, who does not oppose, does not sing. So this has come, this appoggiare has come in for a lot of criticism from, from teachers of the Alexander Technique but like everything, there's a way to do it well and a way to do it badly. And the way uh, to find a way to resist exhalation, to find uh, a point at which you feel as though you're laughing, uh, as, as though you were laughing and suppressing it at the same time, where there is both the in and the out at the same time. Uh, that's, I guess, the last point I would want to communicate that that feeling uh, support uh, is sometimes, well, very often, a rigid system applied to an unstable system, a flying buttress applied to, uh, applied to an unstable wall of a cathedral. And I fear that much of what we do in support is to make our, ourselves rigid. Mm-hmm. But it's to this buoyant opposition that we can find, this strumming of the strings of the body, that's the uh, the idea I think I'd like to uh, imperfectly leave with you. Right, and and if I could just pick up on one thing that you you said about support, I think pretty much every Alexander Technique teacher who's worked with singers has come up against this idea that students have of what they need to do to have proper support. And as you say, it usually, for the most part, tends to be a kind of a stiffening or setting of themselves, often accompanied by or related to some pretty incorrect conceptions of where things are, such as the diaphragm and <laughs> so on, which we don't want to get into too much here, but that um, the, it's almost as though the idea of support has has taken on a life of its own that is actually not all that, as it's understood often, not all that connected with anything very useful. Well, um, I I agree. And I think that um, there's a a great deal to be said for instability uh, with instability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I forgot who it was that said that a person standing in air, I believe this was Mr. MacDonald, uh, another great teacher of the Alexander Technique, he said mm-hmm. that a person standing in air 
is more like swimming than than standing is he mm-hmm. said as though you were swimming in air and so there is much to be said for instability rather than rigidity if i'd had the cho- choice between instability or rigidity i'd go with instability in time uh any time and or better yet uh buoyancy right buoyancy. and that's and that and that's that's really true for everybody in pretty much every situation they find themselves in not just singers right i think you're mm-hmm. right robert yeah well um Unless you have anything else you want to add, I think this might be a good place to end our conversation. Well, uh, it has been a conversation, uh, Robert, and I've enjoyed it very, very much. I, I was uh, not uh, looking forward to speaking into dead airspace for, for uh, 20 minutes, but this has been um, uh, great fun. So um, beat the drum, Robert. I will. And let me just uh, say to our audience that, that my guest today has been Alan Bowers, who's an Alexander Technique teacher, a singer, and a singing teacher of many, many years' experience. And if anything that we've uh, been talking about uh, intrigues you, and bearing in mind that we're describing processes that really have to be experienced, I think, a bit to be appreciated. But if we've given you something, uh, if if it's been intriguing to you, if you live anywhere in the New York City area, Alan lives up on the Upper West Side, not too far from Columbia University, and if you live somewhere else, uh, find an Alexander teacher and uh, explore some of the, the things that we've been talking about. Alan, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been my pleasure, Robert, and thank you.